Hello, 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 team Ajulam. What's up, guys? How are you guys doing? Uh, it's been such a... Uh, it's been a minute. It's been a minute since we've been out here on these preaching streets. I really missed it. Uh, like I mentioned in um, the previous videos that I have uh, had to... I relocated my, my life to a whole other country. And so it's been a whole period of settling in. But here we are. We are settled in. You know, God has been gracious and good. And so I'm excited to be able to be back here, just being able to teach God's word, which is what I love to do. Um, man, I have just been filled and just potent with God's word. So I'm really excited about this. Um, forgive if there's any issues in the quality of this video. Forgive it. <laughs> I'm still, tr still trying to figure this out. Just trying to, still trying to figure this out. But let's focus on the word and the word that God is wanting to teach us today. And so... Um, we're still on the series, Walking with God, um, which is a series on the book of John. And uh, right now we're on the 13th episode of this series and we'll continue to do it. I'm really, I just love, I love this book, love this book. And it's just only about to even get better um, as we go along. And so this is our 13th episode and I just want to do a really, a really quick recap from, from the last uh episode that we we did episode 12 which was from john chapter 8 which is the story of the woman who was caught in adultery right and the exciting thing about this story is 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 that uh, it's a story that really reveals to us who christ jesus is uh, it shows the the true essence of what he's about um, and if you remember we talked about three very specific things one is that in this story is a remedy for self-righteousness and the remedy for self-righteousness is found in these words let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone and the thing that we realize here is that no single person has any standing before god because there's not a single person that can claim that they have never sinned that the thing that is interesting in this story that we had looked at in john john chapter chapter 8 the story of the woman caught in adultery is the fact that all these guys that Jesus doesn't come and say to them let he who has never committed adultery cast the first stone no he says let him who has never sinned cast the first stone and this is the thing for all of us is that this is such a pure remedy for self-righteousness when we realize that we have no standing before God outside of Christ that Jesus Christ is literally the only solid rock upon which we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. He is the only one who is sinless before God. And so he is the perfect sacrifice for us. And so for us, we have no standing before God outside of Christ Jesus because none of us can claim that we have never sinned before. And then the second thing that we looked at is that, that we, just like Jesus, right, that we can be just like Jesus in terms of how we are able to show mercy to others. That here in this story, that the one person who had every right to condemn this woman, when he said, let him who uh, has never sinned cast the first stone, he was the only sinless person in that space. He was the only sinless person. And he was the only one who had the right to throw a stone at this woman. But what does he do? That he chooses instead 
to show her mercy. The one who had every right to throw judgment towards her and his judgment would be right. Shows mercy. And the thing that we realize here that mercy is truly like a premium version of love. Right? That mercy is not for the deserving. It is for the undeserving. Mercy speaks more of the giver than it does of the person for who is the recipient. That mercy speaks more of the person giving it. And the thing that God calls us to be is be merciful like I am merciful. Be like me. Be like me and begin to practice mercy. Begin to, to, to love mercy. Begin to love mercy. In Micah 6 and verse 8, it says, The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, the thing that we realize is that mercy is something that we are being called to exercise freely because our God is merciful, so we can exercise mercy towards others. Ha-ha! Now, the third thing that we learned is that repentance isn't just about walking away from old ways, but also, so it's not just about walking away from old ways, but it's also following after Christ. You guys remember that? That it's about following after him. And so the thing about following is that following is not a static motion. You don't follow someone in a static motion. You follow someone progressively, that you make moves to follow after someone. And the fact is, is that repentance isn't just about walking away, but also about walking towards, that we walk towards Christ, that we walk towards him, that we follow after him because he is the light of the world. And the thing that happens is, is that when we walk with him, what we're doing is eliminating darkness from our lives because he is the light of the world. And this is how we eliminate the darkness in our lives. It's not just about being like, how do we get rid of the darkness? No, it is about following after the light. That when you stay in the light, that then Christ Jesus is the one who's able to help you to then the darkness begins to get out of your life because the light has come. And so we are called to follow after him, to follow after Christ. That not only are we leaving, and so the same thing for this woman, it wasn't just about leave that lifestyle that she had. It was about leave that lifestyle and come follow me. Come and follow after me. And I will help you get rid of all the dark places in your life. I will help you overcome some of these dark places in your life because I am the light of the world. Amen. Woo, hallelujah. Now, today we are still on John chapter 8. And now I want us to be able to read John 8 from verse 31 to 59. So I want you at this point in time, like we always do in most of our videos, I want you to pause the video at this point. And at this point, I want you to pause. Go and uh, read John chapter 8 from verse 31 to 59. Please don't continue this video until you have read John 8 from verse 31 to 59. Pause the video here now. Great! Welcome back! Welcome back! Welcome back! Now, the thing that I want us to be able to look at is this story and, and there's really just two things that I want us to be able to take out of this story. It's actually one thing, but, but it's in two parts, right? And the thing that is happening in this story is pretty much what has been and throughout this whole time we've been going through this uh, this series is recognizing that this has been going on for a big part of what has been Jesus's ministry right and this has been a huge part of his ministry 
both here until this point and even moving forward, right? And the thing that happens in this part is, is, is really a representation of what it looks like for us to follow after Christ, for the most part, right? And it's almost in a sense like a guaranteed promise for us today, right? That this, what is happening here to Jesus, is true for every follower of Jesus Christ, right? That you will face opposition. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. Right? Now, here's the thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is to realize this. Is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is confrontational. It's an aggressive kingdom that confronts. It's a kingdom that takes all or nothing. The kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is not a timid kingdom. It is not a timid kingdom. It's a bold kingdom with all authority in heaven and on earth. And all that authority comes from its king, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus puts it in this way in John 10 and verse 34. That don't imagine that I came to bring peace on earth. I came to bring, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. This is kingdom speak, right? His message confronts us. To those of us who are set in our ways, it confronts our stiff necks. If your work ethic is bad, the message of Christ will confront it. If you are a tribalist, the gospel of Jesus Christ will confront that. If you are lustful, the gospel of Christ will confront that. If you are filled with pride, the gospel of Christ will confront that. Jesus is not a peace. Jesus is a peacemaker, not a peace lover. The difference is people who are peace lovers will maintain peace at all costs. They'll be like, oh, no, let's just maintain peace. And so they avoid confrontation because they are peace lovers. No, Jesus Christ is not a peace lover. He's a peacemaker, meaning that he will confront the things that are hindering peace in your life. He will confront the pride in your life. He will confront your stiff neck. He will confront your disobedience. He will confront different things in your life. Because he's a peacemaker. That there may be ultimate peace in your life. And so that's why he will confront. He will confront. And all this so that you can experience peace. John 15, which I cannot wait to get into. I can't wait to get into John 15. It's such a great chapter. In fact, today when I was in church, this is the chapter that the, the, the preacher today was, uh, was teaching on, which was just so, so exciting. It's such a potent an amazing chapter that can really anchor our faith uh, in, in Jesus Christ and how we ought to move in the faith. Anyway, it says in verse 1 and 2, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The thing that I need you to understand is this, is that the living God, our Father, who tends to his garden, he will tend to you. There will be in some pruning involved so that you can bear more fruit. What that means is that there are things that he will confront. There are things that he will confront in your life so that you can be even more fruitful. 
The thing that we need to realize is that Jesus in our lives. That's the reason why there are so many times where for many people you come to faith in Christ and all of a sudden, <laughs> quote unquote, things just start to like shift. It's not all bliss. It's why things start to shift. And it's because of that confrontation that's happening that the Holy Spirit has come to confront some idols in your life, to confront some mentalities in your life, to confront some things in your life that need to change. Right? And the thing about the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is that it's a raging kingdom. It wants all or nothing. A confrontational kingdom, a glorious kingdom, a victorious kingdom. Where he says that it doesn't matter. Like He's like, the work that he has begun in you, he will see it to completion. What a faithful God. A victorious kingdom. A kingdom that won't allow its subjects to have two masters. It won't allow it. You can't. You can't do it. Because he will confront those things. And so in this chapter, because of the nature of Christ's kingdom, because of the confrontational nature of his kingdom and its message, we see yet, as we have been seeing, yet another confrontation between Christ and the religious teachers of the law, the Pharisees, and their disciples. Jesus was deeply offensive to them and their religion because he represented a confrontational kingdom. And he would never allow these guys, he just wasn't, he was just about confronting their, their beliefs and, their, and the things that they believed in. Now the thing, what I say here, that it was that he, Christ was deeply offensive to them and their religion is because in this confrontation which we see here, we find out through Christ Jesus that these Pharisees weren't following the same God that Jesus was. Jesus wasn't just, this, this wasn't just a small deviation from what it is that they believed, okay? He flat out tells them that they weren't worshipping the same God. Can you imagine? I mean, this is like, these are guys who are like mad religious, man. They're like, yo, as we follow God, whatever. And he's literally telling them, then we're not even worshipping the same God. I mean, that's deeply offensive, if you think about it. It's deeply offensive to these guys, who for all their lives, they have devoted their lives to saying that they are following after God. And then this guy comes and tells them, you guys are not even worshipping the real God. You're worshipping another God. <laughs> you're, you're doing the will of your Father, not the Heavenly Father, your Father. But I want you to listen to this exchange just to understand how deeply offensive it is towards these people who are probably listening to him these pharisees listening to him right it says here and i'm going to read i think this is the message version right then jesus turned to the jews who had claimed to believe in him if you stick with this living out what i tell you you are my disciples for sure then you'll experience for yourselves the truth and the truth will free you surprised they said but we are descendants of abraham we've never been slaves to anyone how can you say the truth will free you Jesus said, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead-end life and is in fact a slave. A slave can't come and go at will. The son, though, has an established position, the run of the house. So if the son sets you free, you are free through and through. I know you are Abraham's descendants, but I also know that you are trying to kill me because of my message. Because my message hasn't yet penetrated your thick skulls. <laughs> I'm talking about things I have seen while keeping company with the Father. 
and you just go on doing what you have heard from your father. They were indignant. Our father is Abraham. Jesus said, if you are Abraham's children, you would have been doing the things Abraham did. And yet, here you are trying to kill me. A man who has spoken to you the truth, he got straight from God. Abraham never did that sort of thing. You persist in repeating the works of your father. They said, we are not bastards. We have a legitimate father, the one and only God. If God were your father, said Jesus, you would love me. For I came from the father and I and arrived here. I didn't come on my own. He sent me. Why can't you understand one word I say? Here is why you can't handle it. You're from your father, the devil. And all you want to do is please him. Woo, man. He was a killer from the very start. He couldn't stand the truth because there wasn't a shred of truth in him. When the liar speaks, he makes it up out of his lying nature and fills the world with lies. I arrive on the scene, tell you the plain truth, and you refuse to have a thing to do with me. Can any of you convict me of a single misleading word, a single sinful act? But if I'm telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone on God's side listens to God's words. This is why you're not listening. Because you are not on God's side. Ooh. I mean, when you, when you look at this, in fact... You can imagine these guys hearing these words from a guy who they themselves think first is evil, right? Telling them that they're not on God's side. These guys were boiling. They were so angry. I mean, literally in the next verse, they, they, they tell Jesus, you're crazy and demon-possessed. These guys were so offended by what Jesus Christ said in his message. They were so offended by it that they called the living word demon-possessed Yahweh, the I am, they call him demon-possessed and crazy. That's how deeply offended they were at this, what were at Jesus Christ and everything that he said and everything that he represented and the message of his kingdom and his gospel. Everything, they rejected it. And this is what they said of him. They hated Jesus. And you know, one of the things for me why... This is so important for us to be able to talk about and to discuss in this fashion is because I got to tell you guys something, man. The fashion in which they hated Jesus and the passion with which they did it is something that brings me great comfort, right? That these guys rejected the Messiah to his face. And the reason why this is so comforting for me is because it allows you to very quickly learn something, a very important lesson, that when you follow after Christ, when you follow after Jesus Christ, you will almost with certainty face opposition. There will be some that will misunderstand you, and not only just that, there will be probably some who will be offended by you and what you represent and what you stand for. It's not possible to follow Jesus and not, and not face some form of opposition. Not in this world. Not in this world where the enemy exists. I'm telling you, the, it is becoming even worse. There are going to be things and positions that you will hold on account of your faith in Christ Jesus that will be unpopular, that will face literal opposition, where people will call you all kinds of names. They will, they will, they will, make, they will make fun of you. 
whether it's in the workplace, in your family, amongst your friends. And it is assured. But the thing that is so amazing about this and why we should take great comfort in this is that they did the same thing to the Jesus that you follow. And if they did it to the Messiah himself, if they did it to Jesus himself, now you, <laughs> if they literally opposed him to his face, they called him crazy and demon-possessed, who do you think they're going to call you? It says in Matthew 5.11 that God blesses you. Imagine that. Like, this is the beauty of it. Like, the beauty of it is the fact that, like, not only can you get comfort that they did it to Christ Jesus, but it actually even says that God himself blesses you. It says here, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. So not only should you gain comfort, this is what it says in verse 12, be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. The thing I need you to understand, that the gospel of Christ Jesus is not a gospel of popularity. It is a gospel that is confrontational. It will confront the things in your life. And the thing is, is to realize that if they misunderstood Jesus, they will probably misunderstand you. If they were offended by Jesus, they will probably be offended by you. And the thing about this realization is that it allows you, at least for me, it has really given me one comfort, but it also allows you to live free. Which is actually interesting where this reading starts today, in, in, where it says, in him you are free. In him we are free. That he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If you remember what we read earlier in John 8, which I hope you read, I'm sure you did, because you follow instructions very well. In him you are free. And living free is actually rewarded by God beyond just the joy of living free. The thing is to realize is that you don't need to be understood by everyone. You don't need to be understood by everyone. And because of that, what then that does is that you don't have to take offense. Any offense being given to you, you don't have to take it because you realize that you do not need to be understood by everyone. In the same way that that your, your, your master, <laughs> the one whom you follow, in the same way that they misunderstood him, you will be misunderstood. And you know, it's so interesting how it says here, yeah, remember the prophets were persecuted in the same way. You know, they literally, they said of Jesus that he's a sinner, he's a friend of sinners, he's a friend of the, he's this person, he's a, he's a drunkard, he's a glutton. But if you remember what Jesus says, that he says, on the flip side, there's John the Baptist, he didn't drink, he didn't say, he ate well locusts and honey. This guy was, was lived in the wilderness, right? He, he wore a camel skin. You know what I'm saying? Like this guy was weird, bro. Like he was such a weird guy. And still, they would not accept that guy's message. They, they used to, they would say that the guy is demon possessed because of how he lives.
So I mean, he is he is on one side. You have one guy there. Yeah, he's demon possessed. Another, both 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 they're living. This guy is this guy is not living. Him is sinners and tax collectors. Demon. This one straight edge doesn't even do anything. Whatever, still demon possessed. Do you get what, do you get what I'm going with this? You get what I'm saying, right? Being misunderstood by some. Or being offensive to certain people is actually, in my opinion, and not just my opinion, in the opinion of God's word, it's actually a key identifier of God's people. <laughs> we are a very diverse collection of people. That's the reason why, in many ways, and it will never change. It will never change. I'm telling you, all of history, the church has always been deeply offensive to the world. And it won't stop. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, right? Because the church is a collection of very diverse people, all bearing his name and testimony. Let me tell you, there's no people you'll find more weird <laughs> than when you go to church. I remember for myself growing up in church, going to church, like it was just such a diverse group of people. You have all kinds of peeps, you know what I mean? All kinds of people who are in the body of Christ. You have people who are former drunkards, right? You have people who are former like gang members, right? Rich people, poor people, former prostitutes, politicians, musicians, soldiers. You will find the most diverse group of people in the body of Christ. And the thing is about the church is that throughout history has been so deeply offensive to so many people. But when you look at the way that Jesus Christ walked and lived on this earth, is that you realize that for some, they were like, this is the Messiah. And for others, they were deeply offended by him and his message. And so, if you feel like you're a little bit weird, <laughs> you belong to Jesus. He likes weird. The misunderstood Messiah. He welcomes you to live free of the opinions of others and follow him. That expect to be misunderstood. Be different. They will tell you things like, ah, you used to be so this, and they'll refer to things in your past. You used to be so this and mention something from, the, from your past. Man, you used to be so much better as this person. Not realizing that you are a new creature, a new creation. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The old things have gone. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus likes weird. <laughs> he likes different. He welcomes you into his kingdom, which is a kingdom of just a collection of all kinds of people from all kinds of walks of life, from all kinds of backgrounds, all of them proclaiming the name of Christ. Even when you look at the scriptures, there's so many different diverse types of people that God chooses to use. All the way from Rahab the prostitute to Daniel who was very steadfast to Joseph steadfast to Abraham the liar man of faith to David who was a, a murderer all the way to Paul another murderer all kinds of people all kinds of people the unlearned like Peter and, and the fishermen, unlearned people, all of them welcome to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, a confrontational kingdom. 
It says in the scriptures that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's deeply offensive to them. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Man, how God confounds the wise. And so the thing is this, and this is the first thing that I wanted to just draw out to you today. That you cannot anchor your life on the opinions of others. You cannot. Because once you do that, you will be thrown in every which direction. And it is almost impossible to follow after Christ if you are still clinging on to the opinions of others. And what they think about you. And you're trying not to be misunderstood or you're afraid to be misunderstood. You're afraid that people will look at you weird, different if you say, if you do, if you, if you think, if you follow after the kingdom of our God. The kingdom of our God requires of you that you have to let go of the opinions of others in order to follow Christ. And this is especially true for this generation where there's so much that we are all seeking the approval of others in so many different ways. And what Jesus is here is just there like, bruh, if you look at this story, if you anchor your life on the opinions of others, bruh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to follow after Christ. Now, I want to dig a little bit deeper. Why I said this is one thing, but it's really, it's two things, but one thing. Right? It's really one thing. Because just to go deeper into this about the opinions of others, what Jesus Christ here shows us in this interaction with the Pharisees is not only that the opinions of others, about the opinions of others not being not anchoring your, your, your life on the opinions of others, but he even shows us through this interaction with the Pharisees where your opinion needs to be anchored, where your purpose needs to be anchored. And it's in John 8, 12 to 15, which we just read, where it says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. The Pharisees replied, you're making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Jesus told them, these claims are valid even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you don't know this about me. You judge me by human standards, but I don't judge anyone. And if I did, my judgment would be correct in every aspect because I am not alone. The Father who sent me is with me. Your own law says that if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. What Jesus is basically telling these guys is, and what they're asking this guy, in fact, the Pharisees are asking him, who, can, who else can collaborate your story? In terms of, you know, is there someone of noteworthy who can come and say, hey, this guy is legit? And, and there were actually people like that, whom he could have been like, so you remember John said, do you not remember that time when we were here, this guy said, there are many things that, but you know what he says? He says, my father who sent me, that's my collaborator. That's the one who can corroborate this story. He's the one who he can come and say, this is the guy who, yeah, yeah, he's the other witness that I have. That the only testimony that I need to validate that what I say is true is, his is him. He's the one. 
And the thing is that this is such an incredibly valuable lesson that we can learn from the Son on how to be a child of God. That the validation of your Father in heaven is the most important validation that you need. You know, let me tell you something. You know, the joys of our faith, and one of the things that I've been realizing as I've been studying the scriptures, um, so I'm in the Old Testament right now, I'm doing the Bible in a year, and I've been reading a lot on like, you know, Abraham, Joseph, all those guys. Now I'm in the book of Exodus. And the thing that you realize is that in many ways, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, the, the faith chapter, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Right? Then he goes on to speak of the heroes of faith and he talks about Abraham and he mentions in John 8, you know, where he talks of Abraham that it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as, as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It says here in verse 13, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. The thing that you realize, and why I'm going to bring this, I'm going to wrap this back in, is that when you, you know, the thing is, is that there is no concept in the scriptures about blind faith. The thing that it says here that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What it's talking about is things not seen physically, but you see it. You see, there's many different ways in which we see things. So meaning that a lot of times, whenever God is telling someone to make a step of faith, it's not because you can't see. It's because he shows you something. There is something that you see. You may not see it physically, but you see it, you see it, you sense it, you feel it. And it's interesting that even when you look through like the scriptures and you look at like the, with Abraham, even now, let's go to like now Moses. It's so interesting, even with Jesus, how with Moses, he would literally, God would tell, would, if you go read the book of Exodus, all the things that were about to happen, God would tell Moses, he's like, yo, so I'm going to harden this guy's heart. This is going to happen. Da, 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 da. Then he'd go back and tell them, ah, I'm going to take them through this way because they see we're going to part. And so God all through is telling Moses all the things that he's, about, he's going to do. It's just that it's, it hasn't happened yet. If you look at Jesus Christ, for example, he continually told his disciples, so they're going to flog me. They're going to march me down this way. This is what's going to happen. And still, when it happened, these guys were like, yo, what's happening? Do you get what I'm saying? So meaning that many times when God is calling you to have faith in him, <laughs> it's not because it's blind faith. It's because he's showing you something. Even he's showing you something with the eyes of your spirit that you're able to see things. That's the reason why whenever people here like think that us guys that you are following blindly, we're not following blindly. We're following something we are seeing. We may not see it, but we see something. We see in part. And the reason why we follow after is because God is showing us something to follow after. There's so many times people who have come to me and have told me, baby guy, man, what a, it's amazing. Like you just took a step of faith and went to, to decided to go to, to, to move to another country. Like, whoa, 
like that's so amazing and it sounds like yo that was blind faith it's not blind faith it's not blind faith because god has been showing me things he's been revealing things to me and is because of what he's been showing me i'm able to then put my hope in that faith is a substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen so i'm able to put my hope in that because there's something i'm seeing <laughs> there's something i'm seeing i'm not seeing it but i see it it's literal evidence because i see it. god is revealing something to me right now the whole point of this is this is that there are so many times this reason that Jesus here says that you judge me by human standards. And what, the, what Jesus is trying to teach us here is, and the thing that I'm getting out of this is, is when Jesus is basically saying to the guys, he's just there, like, there are many times where the things that he's showing you, he's showing you. And if you're waiting for other people to accept what he's showing you, To, you're waiting for the manifestation of these things to reveal themselves. If you want to be, imagine if Noah was like that. He's waiting for the approval of those guys around him before he starts to build this boat. Do you get what I'm saying? My point is this: is that there are some, there are many times where there are things that God will reveal to you, and if your opinions are anchored on anywhere else apart from Him, you will not move. You will not be able to move or do anything if your opinions are anchored on i have to go first find out from so and so if i have to go first you get what i'm saying and the whole point is this is what i'm trying to get to you is this is that the most important validation that you need is from your heavenly father and the call upon us is this is that we have to get to the place where we begin to destroy all these altars of external validation that we have built. Wherever they are, they must be destroyed. Because we must immerse ourselves in this, that the most important and real validation that you need comes from your heavenly Father. What I mean by this in a very literal sense is this, that what he says is more important than what anyone says, including yourself. What he says is more important than what I believe about, my, about myself. God's validation and approval must supersede anything else in your life. My Heavenly Father's validation and approval must become the standard for my life. And you need to believe this. And how you manifest this belief, why you have to believe this. Because it first starts, faith comes, you have to first believe it. You have to first, faith comes by hearing and hearing. But faith, you have to believe this first. And why you have to constantly meditate on this is because it will change how you think and move. And this is what I mean in a very tangible sense, in a very practical sense. That if you truly believe that God's validation and approval supersedes anything else, then you would know, for example, that God's wisdom is greater than any wisdom that exists. And so, you will seek his wisdom first. It means that God is your go-to answer for every aspect of your life. 
because his, his validation and approval supersedes every aspect of your life. It supersedes anything. If you need knowledge, go to God first. If you need insight, you go to him first. If you need provision, you go to him first. If you need wisdom, you go to him first. If you need guidance, you go to him first. If you need favor, you go to him first. You need something worked on in your character, you go to him first before you go pick up that book. Have you talked to God about it? If you need better work ethic, have you talked to God about it first? Before you go read that book, before you go get those resources, have you talked to God too about it first? And the thing about this, guys, I need you to realize this, I need you to capture this, that why this is so important and for you to anchor your life upon this is because what this dependency will do for you in your life, and we'll talk about this when you get to John 15, is when you realize that you can do nothing without him. That the literal thing that you need, the one thing that you absolutely and every human being needs in their life is God. And this dependency will result in so much fruitfulness in your life because there is no greater help than our God. He is the light of the world and if you follow him, you won't have to walk in darkness because he has the light that leads you to life, to fruitfulness, to vitality, to progress. And so the call that we have is to anchor ourselves, our dependency on him. What that means is, is that his validation, his opinion supersedes every single thing in your life, even the wisest of the wisest that you know. This is a truth that you must confront, that the thing that you need most in your life, any human being, is God himself. It's God himself. And there are many times you're going to have to understand that it is not the opinions of others that will anchor your life. It is the validation and the opinion of God that you need to anchor your life on. That his approval supersedes any and all things in your life. And I'm telling you, saints, this will yield so much fruit in your life because you will be walking in the light. And this is what I wanted to share with you guys today. That from this scripture, what we need to realize is that we cannot anchor our lives on the opinions of others. That is a slippery slope and it will be very difficult to follow after Jesus Christ, a confrontational gospel. is very difficult to follow after Christ. Anchoring your life on the opinions of others. And the second and most important thing for you to take out from this message, that the one and most important opinion, the person that you anchor and you anchor everything about your, your, how you see yourself, how even you speak of yourself, how you do anything is anchored on this one thing. 
that the opinion and validation of God is the most important thing that you need in your life. And so begin to practice this belief, anchor your life on this belief that his validation and his opinion matters the most. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. I don't want to end this message without inviting any person who is listening right now. If you have not put your faith in Christ Jesus, I want to invite you to do that right now. I want to invite you into a relationship with God that is the most important decision you ever make in your life. What he has done for us through Christ Jesus is that he has said that I have given you the eternal forgiveness of your sins if you come and believe in Jesus Christ and follow after him. And so I want to invite you into a active beautiful relationship with your maker that will change your the trajectory of your life i want to invite you into a relationship with jesus christ that will transform your life because he is the light of the world and in him there is no darkness and so the way that you'll be able to overcome the things in your life is through him and i want to invite you into a relationship with god and so if you are that person i want you to pray this prayer with me I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for forgiving my sins. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. I accept your love. I accept you. Come and change my life. Fill me with your spirit and teach me how to follow after you. I give my life to you. Thank you for accepting me into your family. Amen, amen. Listen, if you pray that prayer, just hit me up over there, down there, the, the WhatsApp, hit me up on WhatsApp. And tell us about this decision that you've made. God bless you. I look forward to continue to teach you guys more things in this series. I'm so excited to be back. Um, continue praying for me, Tafadhali. The enemy never wants us to come and teach you guys what we want to teach you, you know. So keep praying for me. But I thank you so much. And God bless you guys. See you again next week. Bless.